0: Hello and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Last week, we began Mark a couple of weeks ago and I'm enjoying the the Gospel of Mark. I think it's written for the attention span of our generation. <laughs> we are the soundbite generation, and if it's more than 30 seconds, you don't, you don't keep our attention. And that's kind of the way the, Mark, the gospel of Mark is written, just headline upon headline, uh, kind of G- Mark demonstrating Jesus's actions, even more so than his words. But what we covered last week was, the, we, we kind of slowed down. The first week, we covered almost two years as, G, as John came on the scene and Jesus began his public ministry, up to two years. Last time we looked at one day, 24 hours in the life of Jesus. And what we found was it was no less dynamic. It was no less uh, impactful. And, uh, uh, and so it was a pretty uh, good time. We saw that Jesus grabbed his first four disciples, those 12 men that he was going to do life with for the next three years. He grabs the first four there on the seashore uh, Simon, who's known as Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and then James and John. And they, he says to them, I'll make you fishers of men. And, he, and they set down their nets, and they chase after him. And then they get to see what it is to hang out with Jesus for 24 hours and talk about a radical ride. He taught in the synagogue the, the, after they went to bed and they got up the next morning. He taught in the synagogue that morning, and it was a different than, than church service had been in a while. Said they said he kept their attention. He taught with authority. Nobody was sleeping that morning. It was, it was a, a good message, and everybody was well uh, in tune. And then all of a sudden, Bob stands up, or some guy stands up, and not Bob. Okay, don't use Bob. Okay, sorry, Bob. <laughs> uh, somebody stands up and, with an unclean spirit and starts screaming at Jesus, I know who you are. You're the Son of God. And, and Jesus, with that authority, Casts out this unclean spirit. And then he heads to Peter's house where his mother-in-law is sick. And Jesus ministers to just one and he heals his mother-in-law and she rises up and serves him. And as word of that spreads and then the way church went that morning, suddenly the whole town of Capernaum is on Peter's front lawn. Up to 1,500 people perhaps hanging out, bringing their sick, bringing their unclean spirits and, and, and saying, Jesus, meet our need. And so well after the sun set on that Saturday, Jesus was doing just that, meeting the needs of, of the various people. He was driven by compassion. His heart went out to these people. He's healing the sick. He's casting out demons. Jesus is put in and the disciples have put in a full day of ministry. I don't know if you've been there, if you've worked so hard that you're completely exhausted at the end of the day. I'm sure all of us have done that. I think when I think of those days, I think of the days that I volunteered at Passion, where very often the days were 20 hours long on my feet, and then you go and, and get a couple hours of sleep and then you do it again the next day. Those are some of the hardest, most glorious days I've ever spent. But when you're you're at the end of the day, it's time to rest, it's time to recover. You want to throw out those two favorite words of the English language, right? Sleep in, right? That's, that's like heaven. That's glorious. If we don't have to set an alarm tomorrow, how beautiful is that day, right? And, and that's what we would think that Jesus would be headed towards. You know, I'm not so concerned about what heaven might look like, um, that's not my greatest concern. I'm, I'm curious as to what heaven might feel like. And I don't know about you, but I, this is my thought. You know that when you've busted your hump all day long and you're achy and sore and you have no energy left and you fall into bed and every muscle relaxes, you know that feeling where it's just like, That feeling right there, that's heaven for eternity. That feeling, just over and over. That peace, that that comfort, that relaxing. That's 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 like my guess. Is that it's that cool sheets, comfortable pillow <sighs> moment. That's what heaven feels like. So after a full day, it's time to rest. It's time to recover. It's time to sleep in. But let's look at what Jesus does. We're picking up in verse 34. We read this verse last week, but just to remind us, it says, Then he healed healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. He did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place. And there he prayed, sleep in, not Jesus, not Jesus. After a busy day that possibly went long into the night as he ministered to many, Jesus doesn't shut the alarm off, put the do not disturb sign on the door. No, he's up early to pray. And herein lies a Christian principle that either we don't understand often or we choose to ignore. And that is that the power to the Christian life is in feeding the Spirit. The power to the Christian life is in feeding the Spirit. And in order to do that, here's the part we don't like we must deny our flesh. The power of the Christian life is in feeding the Spirit, and in order to do that, we must deny our flesh. That's not a pleasant thought to our comfortable American Christian life. But consider this. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, he tells us plainly, he says, you cannot serve two masters. You're familiar with the text, right? And then he goes on to say, you cannot serve both God and money. And that's the example that Jesus gives, but that's not the entirety of the principle. The principle is you cannot serve two masters. If we call him Lord, and we can't call him Savior without also calling him Lord, if we call him Lord, then it makes sense that nothing else is Lord over us, right? It's kind of the idea of marriage. When you say yes to that special someone, you're also saying yes or saying no to the rest of the world. When you say yes to to getting married, you're saying no to everybody else. It's the same idea. If we call him Lord, then no one else, nothing else is Lord over us, including our flesh. Consider the struggle. You know the struggle. You've experienced it. In fact, all of us have, including the capital A apostle Paul. Paul says in Romans chapter 7, what I'm doing... I don't understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree that the law is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. He goes on to say in 19, uh, chapter 7, verse 19, for the good that I will to do, I do not do. And then he concludes the thought in verse 24, oh, wretched man that I am. This is Paul saying this. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Of course, we know it's Christ. If Christ is our Lord, which means he has the authority over our lives, he is in control then we have a responsibility to Him to not subject ourselves to anyone but Him, including us. You tracking? Does that make sense? If Christ is our Lord, we have a responsibility to Him. We answer to Him. That he is our master. And therefore, our responsibility is to not subject ourselves to anyone else, including us. Subjecting ourselves or appeasing our flesh. He tells the Corinthian church, Paul does in 1 Corinthians 9, do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives a prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. And here's the the key verse. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Another version would say, I beat my body. I buffet my body is the word that's used. He's saying, I battle against the flesh and I put it into subjection uh, under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Lest, he says, when I've preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Because of this. We must deny our flesh for the sake of our Lord. He tells the Galatian church, one other site in Galatians chapter 5, and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. We, 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 we live, we serve to appease our God. Our flesh and its desires are a hard, constant battle that we will not get rid of until we pass from this life into the next. This is, this is our, our, our challenge. This is our battle. They're, it's hard to deny the flesh on a continual, ba- a continual basis. And it's a battle that we lose unless we know how to win. There is victory to be had over our flesh. Not only did Jesus die to justify us, he also died to sanctify us. And not only does he deliver us from the penalty of sin, he delivers us from the power of sin as well. So let's look at Jesus. What did he do? Let's look at our example today. He denied his desire to sleep. That ain't an easy one to overcome. I don't know about you. He rose early in the morning to get alone with the Father. He plugged into the source. He connected with His Father. When we place God on the throne of our lives and we seek Him first in all things, as we're told in Matthew 6, to do, then as we seek Him, the, the response from, from heaven, the response from the throne of God is He gives us the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to enable us to submit our lives to Him. It is in the, the giving of the Spirit that we have the power to deny the flesh and to live for him. We know the fruits of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, gentleness, self-control. One of, the, one of the evidences of the Spirit living in our lives is the fact that we are able to deny our flesh. We just have to tap into it. It's in denying ourselves the desire of the flesh, and plugging into our source of power, the Holy Spirit, to live the Christian life, that we gain the fruit of the Spirit, self-control. And hear this, which allows us to become better servants. That's what Mark's trying to show us as he's writing the gospel out. That was, he wanted to demonstrate that Jesus came as a servant, And look at what Jesus is doing, right? Servants stay up late into the evening serving. Servants rise up early in the morning to begin their day. Servants begin their day by checking in with their master on the duties of the day. What would you have me do today? Exactly what Christ has done by going, stepping away to pray. My encouragement to each of us and some of you are going to hear this and say, yes, thank you for saying that. And some of you are going to hear this and say, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> with a tear in your eye. If we develop a habit of mourning, devotion, and prayer, it would benefit all of us. If we, like Jesus, rise up before we need to in order to make it to work on time, So that we might spend some time with him in devotion, reading the word of God and communion with him in prayer. We will be far better off. Some of you are saying, well, I just I have a hard time doing that. I'd rather pray at the end of the day. And the way Joe Foch says it is, if we get into the habit of praying in the morning, we might have less to pray about at the end of the day. Right? Because at the end of the day, we're saying, well, Lord, I probably shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry I did that. And uh, I screwed up here. Would you please forgive me? But if we start our day with him, then chances are at the end of the day, we'll have less to say I'm sorry for because we've spent it with him. So now, as our story continues, the disciples wake up. You know, they're probably up at the crack of dawn. They were the fishermen, but Jesus rose well before dawn. And they're looking forward to another day, right? They just spent twenty-four hours with Jesus, and they're like, "Man, that was a trip. That was a, that was a good day. What's going to happen today? Let's see. Let's and hey, where's where'd he go? Where's Jesus? Did you see him leave? I, I'm sorry, I was sleeping. Did you see him? Where is he? So it says in verse thirty-six, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and when they found them, found him, they said to him. Everyone is looking for you, right? So not only is Peter, Andrew, James, and John looking for him, as they get up and head out the house in the morning, the entire town is still on the front lawn. We're, hey, we camped out. We're ready for more Jesus. Now don't read the next verse. Hopefully you haven't yet. Because I want us to put, I want to put us in this moment for just, just a second. I want to look at, look at what's happening. Everyone's looking for you, Jesus. For you and I, the the way we would translate that in modern English, your video just went viral, right? We pulled up your YouTube account this morning, Jesus, and you gained a million views overnight. Your Instagram followers are up in the hundreds of thousands. Everybody's looking for you. This is awesome. Your ministry, it came to you, Jesus. It's jumping. It's time to get to work. What are you doing out here? It's time to, come on, Jesus, let's go. And therein lies the rub. Think about that for a minute. Look at Jesus and who is pulling on his life in this moment. He just spent time in prayer with God the Father. And he's he's received a commissioning, and we're going to find out what that commissioning is. So he has command from on high as he, he, he spent time with the Father. But also in this very same moment, he's being pulled by the disciples to a successful ministry. Come on, Jesus, everybody's looking for you. We'll put you in the right spot. We'll give you the, the spotlight for the day. We'll put you up on a stage. Just come on, let's serve. And they're pulling on his life. And not only that, the people of Capernaum are pulling on his life. Hey, maybe that genie will come back. Maybe we can, if we rub the lamp the right way, we'll get him to do some more parlor tricks and even more people will be healed. We see the importance of knowing the direction that you're supposed to be going? If not, you're going to be pulled in the wrong way. So what's a Savior to do as he's pulled in these three different directions? Watch what happens. It says in verse 38, But he said to them, let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I've come forth. I'd imagine it was probably Peter who spoke up at that point. Now, we don't get that account here in Mark, but Peter's been known to put his foot in his mouth time and again. What are you talking about, Jesus? The, the world has come to you. You don't need to go anywhere. The stage has been set. You're going to leave this success story? Isn't this what you want? Don't you want this many followers? Don't you want this many people having liked your Facebook page? Your popularity's through the roof, Jesus. No, Jesus is not concerned about popularity or likability. He's not there to appease the masses. Jesus's life is about one thing. John chapter four, verse 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. The thing I survive on is doing the will of him, the father who sent me. And then at the end of his life is he's in the upper room and he's praying for us in John chapter 17. Jesus prays and he says, I have glorified you on earth. I've glorified you, the father on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. You and I, we (laughs) applaud those who devote their lives to one thing, don't we? we? We applaud those people. I love the Olympic Games, and I've shared this example before. But in the Olympic Games, what you see is somebody who has devoted their life to one thing. Basketball, soccer, you know, downhill skiing, gymnastics, whatever it is, for six days a week, for seven days a week, for eight hours, nine hours, ten hours a day, for years They have lived, eat, breathed one thing, their sport. And we watch that in awe, amazed at at, at how well they do that. I've got dancers in my family. You you go to the ballet met in New York and and you watch the, the premier ballerina. And what you see is somebody who for years has done nothing else but dance ignoring the social calls, setting aside even birthday parties and holidays that they, she could travel to the special schools, devoted to one thing. It is beautiful to watch. Jesus, as our example, devoted his life to one thing, doing the will of the Father. And it's beautiful to watch. Watch. That was success for him. It should be for us as well. Our one thing, mine and yours, brothers and sisters in Christ, should be the same as what Jesus' was, to do the will of the Father. Our lives would be incredibly simplified if we made that our one goal. Rise up in the morning. What would you have me do today, Lord? How can I serve you best and and set the things aside that are not going to honor him or glorify him, even in the best way? We are so busy in this day and age, are we not? Is that the best thing for us? Is that what God would have of us? You know what else is busy? A chicken with his head cut off right? Have you seen it? You, 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 you lop the head off of that chicken, and what happens to the body? The the the, the blood rushes into the muscles, and they, and it spazzes out and starts running all over the place. I had a friend who grew up on a farm at six years old. His mom took culled the chicken, and, and, the, and the body started chasing him. And when he turned right, and the chicken would turn right, and it's like, how do you can't see? How do you know where I'm going? But that's a headless chicken is busy, right? Running around like a chicken with our head cut off. It's where we get the expression from. But that doesn't mean it's necessarily good. Are we connecting with our Father in heaven that we might rightly discern his direction in our lives? I have been harping since we since I took the pulpit and longer. But especially as we went through the book of Romans, there is no greater way that you and I can spend our time than in prayer. Seeking the will of the Father. God, what would you have me do? I urge you to make sure that you're praying. Husbands, check in with your wives. Did you pray today? Pray with them. Pray over them. Pray with your kids. Teach them as they're young to to pray to God. Men, take the lead in the family. Pray over your meals. You rise up early in the morning. Set the example. That your family can see it. May we seek Him. All right, let's continue the story. It says in verse 39, and He was preaching in their synagogues. He now goes to these small towns. He was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. And now a leper came to him, and I love this story. A leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus, by the direction of the Father, moves from the masses on the front lawn to one man, void of family, void of friends, probably untouched for years. He moves to minister a leper. I want to talk about leprosy for just a moment, just to make sure we're all on the same page. And I got this description I love. This is a great description from David Guzik. It begins as a small red spot on the skin. Before too long, the spots get bigger and start to turn white with a sort of shiny or scaly appearance. Pretty soon the spots spread over your whole body. And your hair begins to fall out, first from your head, then even from your eyebrows. As things get worse, your fingernails and your toenails get sort of uh, loose. And they start to rot and eventually fall off. Then the joints of your fingers and toes begin to rot. And they start to fall off, piece by piece. Your gums start shrinking They can't hold your teeth anymore, and so you lose each of them. It keeps eating away at your face until literally your nose, your palate, and even your eyes rot. And you waste away until you die. And as horrible as the physical suffering was, the worst part of having leprosy might have been the way people treated you. In the Old Testament, God said that when there were lepers among the people of Israel, they should be carefully quarantined and examined. And you can read about that in Leviticus 13 and 14. Lepers had to dress like people who were mourning for the dead because they were considered to be the living dead. They had to warn people around them by crying out, unclean, unclean, whenever people were near them. This really wasn't because leprosy is highly contagious. It isn't. It's because God uses this disease as a striking example of sin and its effects on us. But the people of Jesus' day went further than than the Old Testament told them to. Back then, they thought two things about a leper. One, you're the walking dead. And two, you deserve this. This is your punishment of God against you. Jewish customs said that you should not even greet a leper custom said that you should stay six feet from a leper. One rabbi bragged that he would not even buy an egg on a street where he saw a leper. And another boasted that he threw rocks at lepers to keep them far from him. Rabbis didn't even allow a leper to wash his face. A man who's struggling with all of this happening in his life. We don't know what stage he was in, but I imagine that he was fairly long, far along, perhaps even already having lost his nose. This man comes running up to Jesus, obviously hearing of the miracles that were following Jesus and all the things that were happening. He takes a step of faith, incredible faith, to come up to Jesus. And he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. You hear that? He knew Jesus could heal him. If you're willing, you can make me clean. He knew Jesus could heal. What he didn't know was if this man was of enough value for Jesus to move on his behalf. This man had lost his identity because of this disease. Jesus, I know you can heal you, but I don't know if I'm worth it. So what he's saying. Watch what happens. Verse 41. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him, said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. imagine that going into his ears. Imagine him hearing that and, and feeling the power of the spirit of God move in his life and and things being restored. We were talking about it after service last night, and my daughter asked, if he had lost fingers, were they regenerated in this moment? If he had lost his nose, was it it suddenly there? The, The sores, did the hair grow back instantaneously? I don't know. I know that Jesus heals completely when he heals. What a glorious moment this was. Jesus leaves the 99 for the one, and he's moved with compassion, driven by the love of the Father. He is willing. He is willing. And what's beautiful about this picture is Jesus can heal any way that he chooses to. And we see him heal in many different ways as he goes throughout his ministry. But as the leper comes to him, Jesus chooses to do more than just a word to heal him. Jesus Touches him. A man who probably hasn't felt the touch of another human being in years. And we need that touch. As much as we need air and water and food, we need the touch of another human being. We need a hug. We need love in that in a physical way. It's a a need of ours. And this man perhaps for years hadn't felt that touch broken over this. And Jesus does more than heal his disease. He welcomes him as a friend. He chooses to touch him. Perhaps this guy was atrocious to look at, yet Jesus meets his need and touches him. And what's awesome is that Jesus wasn't defiled in that moment by touching a leper, because he didn't touch a leper. As he touched him, the man was cleansed. The man was healed. It's not that this man's leprosy got on Jesus. It's that the healing power of Jesus changed this man's life in that moment. He didn't touch an unclean man, for the man was clean when he touched him. Beautiful. And then he strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way. Show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. What a, what a trip this would have been, right? Jesus says, don't keep it quiet. Keep it on the down low for now. First thing you need to do is go to the priest and tell him you've been cured of leprosy, right? How? Well, maybe you don't know. There's no cure for leprosy. Even today, there's no cure for leprosy. Even in modern medicine, we, we know how to treat it. We know how to keep it from growing, but there's no cure. There's no reversing leprosy even today. So this is a unique situation that this man would have been healed. What did that look like when the man walked up to the priest and said, "Um, I've got this sacrifice for uh, cleansing of leprosy. What? Where? What? He tells, you know, verse 45, just to finish the chapter, he went out and began to proclaim it freely. It spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places. And they came to him from every direction. It's kind of neat. In the Old Testament, in the law of God, as, as Moses was given the law, and Moses shared the law throughout the book of Leviticus especially, you can read there is a provision made for when somebody is cured of leprosy. There was a, 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 an act that the priests were to perform when somebody was cured of leprosy, which wouldn't happen outside of God moving. And so now, hundreds of thousands of years later, this man goes to the priests there in this small town or, or to the wherever, and, and he's like, I've been cured of leprosy. He did what? And uh, yeah, I've got all my fingers back. <laughs> or whatever, you know? I can <laughs> breathe through my nose again. I have one. And the priest, I'm gonna have to look that one up. We don't, we don't, we don't do that one every day. Give me just a come back tomorrow, and we'll see what we can. That would have been an interesting conversation. Tie all these thoughts together. Leprosy, as we said, is such a great representative of sin in the Scripture because of how much they're alike. Leprosy is incurable. Sin is incurable. Leprosy is destructive. Sin is destructive. Leprosy rots our flesh until we are destroyed. And sin does the exact same thing. And you and I can come to Jesus with our Leprosy, with our sin, and say, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus looks into our eyes and says, I am willing. Be cleansed. He touches us through the cross, through his body broken and his blood shed, and we are cleansed, purified, made whole again. That which sin had taken is restored. And our response, when we've accepted that, and we rise up and we say, all right, Lord, now what would you have me do? We follow in his footsteps, seeking to please the Father with our lives. We rise early to ask, where would you have me go, Lord? What would you have me say? And then we devote ourselves to one thing, accomplishing that which would please him. And what pleases him is if we, like the leper, carry with us wherever we go the story of the way Jesus healed us. Amen. In Revelation chapter 12 it says we shall overcome by the word by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. The greatest tool we have in evangelism, the greatest tool that we have in discipleship, the greatest tool that we have in ministering to other people is carrying the story that I was a leper, dead in my sins. My flesh was rotting away. And Jesus through the cross touched me and made me whole. May we carry that message wherever we go. And we'll be about pleasing the Father if we do. Amen. Let's stand. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Father, for this beautiful story And the example of our Savior, Jesus, who rose early in the morning, long before it was light, to be intimate with you, to seek your face, to submit himself to the authority of the Father. Not my will, but thine be done. And so when the temptation came to return to what looked successful, Lord, he knew that wasn't his plan for the day. Lord, may we seek your orders from on high as we call you Lord. And I pray that we would carry in our hearts this beautiful story of the way that you cleansed us, the leper, and made us whole, how you've touched us through the cross. And I pray for the person in this room that doesn't yet know that touch, that hasn't yet experienced the healing and cleansing of their sin. I pray, Father, that today they would see that they're losing fingers and toes, that their teeth are falling out because of their sin, maybe not in a physical way, but in a spiritual way. Lord, they're lost without you, just corpses rotting. And I pray that in that need, they would see love, the love of a Savior. And I pray that they would reach to you and say, Lord, I need you, as we sang earlier. Pray they'd surrender their hearts to you and accept the saving work of Jesus Christ through the cross. That's you today. Jesus said, confess me before men, I will confess you before the Father. After we finish praying, I just encourage you to come forward and talk with me or some of the men and women that we'll have up front to pray with you and confess, I need a Savior. And they'll talk with you and point you in the right direction. If you need prayer for anything, come forward. Lord, we thank you that we have your ear, that you love us. We thank you that you saved us and redeemed us. I pray that as we reap the benefits of having you as Savior, that we would also submit our lives to you as Lord, and follow you hard all the days that you give us. We sing, I love you, Lord, to close the service. I pray that with our lives, we would show it. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.